0: You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Last time we began in Galatians 5 and verse 19 with the works of the flesh which are evident. The Apostle Paul said these are immorality and impurity, sensuality. And tonight we'll go on to talk about idolatry and sorcery. And then later still, if the Lord permits, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so there we find... Uh, these, uh, uh, these terrible things, uh, these evident things of the flesh. And so now we're in our second study in the things of the flesh to deny. Last time was the sins of a lack of sexual control, immorality, impurity, sensuality, the sins of the body and of the mind in that regard. Tonight, the false religion, idolatry and sorcery. In the future, the things of bad temper, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger. Then things of bad relationship, bad relationships, disputes, dissensions, factions, and envying. And then the misuse of substances, the drunkenness and the carousing, and the things like these which disqualify one from the kingdom. After studying this list of horrible things, abominable things, detestable things, sinful things, we then hope to look at the thing the Spirit produces in our life the inward attitudes of love, joy, peace, the outward displays that come from that, patience, kindness, and goodness, and then the other goods that follow as well faithfulness, gentleness, self control. So, as you see each of these uh, broken down into sections, that's going to be our outline of study. We will take some time to study these uh, four or five verses that contrast the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Tonight's a very simple outline. There's two things in this list that are of false religion. Now, we find that these are opposed to God, and God is certainly, as we'll see by the scriptures, greatly opposed to them. Yet, from time to time, we find these in the lives of Christians. And we wonder, well, how could that be? And the key, I think, is found, as we looked last week at we did it longer tonight, the, the summary. James 3, verse 8, beginning where it talks about the tongue, that no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men. And James said, how is it that uh, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of the Father uh, while we also bless the Lord who made them? From the same mouth, he says, comes both blessing and cursing. Brethren, such things ought not to be. You don't find that in nature, he says. Can a fig tree produce olives? Can a vine produce figs? Does a fountain send out both fresh and bitter water? But in the things of men, we find people who do both. They bless God, they curse those that God made. And so, what we found was this is as the Westminster Confession summarizes that sanctification is throughout the whole of man, but in this life it is imperfect. So, and here's the key phrase there abides some remnant of corruption in us, whence arises a continual and irreconcilable war of flesh lusting against spirit, and spirit against the flesh. And the Apostle Paul, speaking to the Romans, Uh, He said about this, that the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. And sometimes we vacillate a bit as to where our mind is centered and to where our mind is going. And uh, what fills our hearts uh, better today, the things of the spirit or the things of the flesh? And uh, we, we war within ourselves as to which one should take the upper hand. But the Apostle Paul tells us these, these things of the flesh, he says, they're evident uh, and that you know they're wrong. So let's not do them. Uh, now, the admonition to let's not do them is basic. It's simple. It's repeatable. Uh, we can all learn to say it. The, the problem is the learning to do it. So these two things in false religion, idolatry and sorcery. And for your screen, uh, we will take those off because I think you can remember those two points, idolatry and sorcery of false religion. Our definitions uh, don't help us all that much, especially in regard to idolatry, because uh, the dictionary says uh, idolatry is the worship of things made by man. It's uh, the worship of images and the worship of false gods. I think we all knew that. I don't think any of us had any question about in this case. What idolatry means. We might at uh, some things uh, think about how far the application of things uh, as idolatrous go, and we'll get to that in a bit. But the idea that we don't worship statues, that we don't do graven images, uh, that we don't have gods that are represented by these things, or as sometimes in uh, the highest forms of the old paganism of the old world, the pre-Christian world, and the uh, non-Christian world, the thing that, th- that these... These things actually are God themselves. Uh, uh, but idolatry is a sin that the Bible says so much about. We think, well, this is basic. We, we know what that word is, and we know we shouldn't do it. How is it that we have so much trouble with it? Why is the Scriptures full of so many admonitions in this regard? And as I was preparing for this lesson uh, this week, uh, I had a few things that I had remembered studying before, and I wanted to call those up and refresh my mind on those things. And it turns out, turns out, and this is the introduction page, uh, the, only the introduction page, but this is the introduction page uh, to a 24 page uh, set of sermons, four sermons in all. Uh, the idolatry, the continual sin of Israel, uh, such for some of you, Christ called from idols uh, set up idols in your hearts, idolatry many forms and carried away or carried along the journey, destructive spiritual stowaways. Three years ago, I preached four lessons, uh, in, uh, the end of March and the beginning of April, exactly three years ago on idolatry. You all know, remember those lessons, right? No, probably not. I, I sort of barely remember those lessons and I think I was there for all of them. Uh, I think I was. At least my notes say I was. But uh, after reviewing those uh, 24 pages, uh, I remembered quite a few things once my mind was refreshed. But I hadn't realized uh, that that was uh, three years ago uh, that we had uh, a a month worth of sermons uh, just on idolatry. So I promise you tonight, we will not have a month of sermons tonight on idolatry, though it might seem like it. Uh, But it is a thing we need to be refreshed upon uh, from time to time. Uh, Idolatry is a uh, really it's a a serious sin. It's a it's a contaminating sin that perverts the mind. It corrupts our our understanding of God. And if we get a corrupt understanding of God, we're going to have a corrupt understanding of ourselves. Whose image are we made in? We are made in the image of God. And what if we have a wrong view of God? And then there are those who uh, think that, uh, you know, hey, we get to make our own gods. Well, the thing is, it's not just that people make gods in their own image, but then after a while, they start conforming their image to the image of the gods that they invent. And so what we worship, what we hold near and dear to our hearts, that is going to affect how we live, how we view the world, and how we act and so uh, idolatry uh, aside from just the statuary forms of idolatry the idolatry that we find in in the hearts of men it it corrupts our understanding of of god and then it corrupts our understanding of ourselves Uh, we get enamored with uh, these other notions of god uh, that we get to invent and we like uh, and that appeal to us and the parts of god that uh we find terrifying the, his holiness, uh, his judgment, his complete knowledge of us, uh, his call to us uh, 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 to be accountable and to ultimately face judgment. In idolatry, we can pretty well dispense of all of those. And then there's the effect on morality because of that. And so these things end up being rivals of God, rivals of the true knowledge of God, and rivals within us uh, in our devotion to the true God, now in nature, uh, these idols are uh, no rival to God whatsoever. Somebody sets up a big statue, and uh, what might the weather do to it? Well, it might knock it over directly by the wind, or it might strike it with lightning and, and uh, burn it down. Uh, it might uh, it might fall to an earthquake, or if they put it on top of a hill, uh, the 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 cliff face upon which it stands, overlooking the the valley below, that might erode and the thing fall down. There is no rival in nature of uh, things that are created to the Creator. But in our hearts, we set up these rivals all the time. Uh, Calvin famously said about idolatry, he said, the human mind is a perpetual forge of idols. Today, that's often... Uh, summarized as uh, an idol factory. Yeah, he said that the human mind is a perpetual forge of idols. The mind conceives the idol, and the hand gives it birth. So what we think is what we do. If we think about the Ten Commandments, when God spoke to Israel after having brought them out of Egypt, and he gives them the Ten Sayings, we find the first three all deal directly with idolatry and rivals that would be set up against him. Exodus 20, verse 3, God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, which has brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You will have no other gods before me. You will not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You will not worship them. Or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, on the children, unto the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me, and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished, who takes his name in vain so Commandments, know that I am God. Know there are no others. Know that you don't make any idols. You don't make anything that could possibly to anybody at any future time become an idol to them. And don't use my name in vain. Uh, Don't call it over wrong things or unholy things. Uh, Of course, don't use it in a profane uh, method of speech, which is what we often think about. But basically, he's saying about these things that you do, he says, keep my name out of it. Don't say my name over that. Don't pretend like I'm involved. And don't ever give anybody the impression that I approve. I think about those golden calves they set up at Dan and Bethel when Israel broke off from Judah. And they wanted to make a rival to the true worship. And they they called the name of God over the places at Dan and Bethel that they made. And thus they made Israel continually sin, a sin from which they never recovered. They perpetually sinned there, and it had God's name all over it. But it didn't have any bit of his approval. They were taking his name in vain. So uh, idolatry uh, was this continual problem in the Old Testament and one that is surprisingly regularly warned about in the New. Uh, idolatry is not the bane of the past only. It is the bane of people of all time. So we end up with idolatry, assuming God to be something he is not. We end up with a diminished, unworthy, and erroneous view of God. And sometimes these things can be subtle, such that we may make God in the way that we like. Or sometimes these can be wholesale, or just, uh, you know, they set up the worship of Baal. Or they worshiped the stars uh, through the Asherah. Uh, the Asherah, the Old Testament, was basically a, a pole. It was a tall pole, uh, not very well adorned either, not, not one that was not quite like a totem pole, uh, where you know you have carvings and, and images all over it, but just literally a pole, uh, sort of like a flagpole. But that, that pole, reaching as high as they could make one to reach, uh, represented the stars, and they worshiped the stars. And they worshipped uh, with Baal. They worshipped with calves. There's a reason why Israel chose a golden calf over and over because they were copying the idolatry of Baal and the bull. And what we find is that over and over, this was a destructive thing to God's people. First Corinthians 7, we have this warning. Paul said the, the people of old ruined themselves. Don't do it like that. Don't be idolaters, First Corinthians ten seven, as some of them were. And there's the immorality that goes with it. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they stood up to play. And the play there is uh, euphemistic of the activities that happen at idolatrous festivals. And this is what destroyed them. First uh, Kings 17, 12. They served idols, concerning which the Lord had told them, don't do this thing. The Lord said, don't do it. And so, well, they did. And we think about just the direct... Uh, contravention of God's instruction, the direct violation. Again, just read in the Ten Commandments with all the Jews. I uh, should have had memorized or the repeated commands in uh, Leviticus three times. They're warned against idolatry. Do not turn to idols, Leviticus 19.4. Don't make yourself molten gods. I am Jehovah, your God. Chapter 26, it's, there's twice, verse 1 and verse 30. We'll read verse 1. Don't make for yourselves idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves an image or the sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter uh, 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 7 and chapter 16 and chapter 27, do not turn to idols or make for yourself molten gods. Do not make for yourself the likeness of anything in heaven above, or the earth beneath, or the water under the earth. You shall utterly detest, and you shall abhor it. It is something banned. Don't set up the sacred pillar which God hates, and curse it as the man who makes an idol or a molten image. It's an abomination. And so, if we go through the history of Israel, what did they do? Well, when they came out of Egypt through the wilderness... They made the calf at Horeb, Psalm 106:19. They made a calf at Horeb. They worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the glory of an ox that eats grass. They forgot their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. In the time of the judges, what do we think about? Idolatry and immorality. Uh, maybe one of the most striking uh, idolatry stories in the book of Judges, of which there are several to choose. But uh, Gideon, how does Gideon begin his career as deliverer of, of uh, the people of Israel? He tears down the local baal, and when he does that, what happens? The citizens of the town come out and want to kill him, because they ha- he has destroyed their idol, such were they attached to it. Or in the time of the kings, in the time of the kings, there's an amazing story about David. You don't know anything about David as an idolater, do you? But David, when he was a young man and married to Saul's daughter, Milcah, so the future king, married to the daughter of the current king, one of the princesses of the land, when Saul decided he would kill David, he sent some people over to their house to arrest David. And how on that occasion did David escape? They took one of the household idols, they put... A, uh, a little rug uh, that was made of lambs, uh, lamb's wool. They put that on the idol as a wig. They laid the idol in the bed and pulled the covers up over it. And when they came to arrest David, his wife says, well, he's laying over there in the bed sick. So let's not disturb him right now. You can come back. And eventually, you know, they kind of catch on that something's not right here. And they go pull back the covers. And what do they find in the bed? They find an idol. Now, just imagine David, David, in David's house. Now, maybe it was his wife's, but David lives there with his wife. In David's house was an idol of enough size that it could pass for a little while at least. It could pass as a man. And it was convenient enough inside the house, you know, the soldiers on the outside, David and his wife on the inside. It's convenient enough in the house that they can get it into the bedroom, so I don't know if it'd been in the courtyard before, or the living room, or I don't know if it'd been in the bedroom before, but it's in there with them and not out there where the soldiers are. So in their house, this power couple of Israel, you know, the king's daughter and uh, one of the king's main ministers. Uh, if if this were modern days, uh, I'm sure they'd be social media influencers, wouldn't they? Everybody's wondering, hey, what's Milka wearing today? You know, what's on her TikTok, right? What did what, what, what she post on Instagram, uh, right? The, these are the rich and powerful. The, in my, now, when I was a kid, they would have been on Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous because in Israel, what were they? Well, they were rich and famous. They were powerful. Today, they'd be influencers. They'd have multiple channels and all different kinds of social media. These people, people of this influence and people of this position in society, what do they have in their house? An idol big enough to pass for a fella laying down in bed. This was a continual problem in Israel. And so on it goes. During the time of the kingdom, the idolatry continues. Isaiah speaks about it, of those who uh, engage in the folly of making idols. One guy making the, uh, the metal part and one guy making the wood part. Isaiah 44, 9, those who fashion a god and cast an idol to no prophet. He said, verse 12 of Isaiah 44, a man shapes iron into a cutting tool. Uh, with, or excuse me, yeah, into a cutting tool. And then he does his work over the coals and he fashions it with hammers. And he works with it with a strong arm till he gets hungry and his strength fails. He drinks water and gets weary. Guy's working in there all the time over, the, over that uh, fire and he, he's forging things and making things. Another shapes the wood. He extends the measuring line. He outlines it with red chalk. Today we use blue usually. He chalks it with, he uh, works it with planes and he outlines it with a compass and he makes it into the form of a man like the beauty of man so it may sit in the house. But then he goes on to explain, they don't know and they don't understand for God has smeared over their eyes so they cannot see and their hearts So they cannot comprehend. Uh, These are people who are going to make these idols and worship these idols. And they don't even get the folly of it. They don't get that they're the creator of it. They make it and then they worship it like it made them. Isaiah concludes, remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you're my servant. I have formed you. You're my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. Yeah, they, they may forget God, but God won't forget them. And so Israel goes off into captivity into Assyria. And a bit later, Judah goes off into captivity uh, into Babylon. And then over in Babylon, one of the great prophets of God, Ezekiel, does his work. And Ezekiel, in his book, he ends up mentioning idols more than any other prophetic book. No book in the Bible talks as much about idols as Ezekiel does, and he talks to people who've had to leave their idols behind. He does a couple of things. One is he tells them what was going on in the temple in Jerusalem and why it is the glory of the Lord departed and God let Nebuchadnezzar take over the place. He tells them that the temple and the holy place was full of idols. They had stacked idols all over the temple. They had worshipped idols. The Jews had in the temple. Now later, when Uh, one of the rulers of uh, Damascus, one of the Antiochuses, Antiochus IV, when he forces Jews to have idolatry in the temple, they take it as the worst affront was ever committed against mankind, and they rebel. And the Jews of Jesus' day, or slightly thereafter, when the Romans come in, and they set up their idol to Zeus right before they destroyed the temple in 70 A.D., The Jews, again, take that as a great affront, as though nothing so bad had ever happened. But the Jews lost the first temple because that's what they themselves did. And they went to to captivity for it. And then when they got to captivity, and they longed for home and the idols of home, Ezekiel told them this. Ezekiel 14, beginning in verse 1. Then some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down before me and the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts and have put right before their faces, the stumbling block of iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? They're coming to ask you to ask me so they can get a word of wisdom. Should I even entertain these people's question because these men have idols in their hearts. You know, it made me think of the hymn we sing sometimes about the love of God. The love of God has shed priceless blessings on my head. I have made it my own. And here's the part I will hide it in my heart that it never made a part. It shall rule there alone. Well, I'm, I hope we, as that psalm or that song we sing says, I hope we make the love of God the thing we treasure most in the inner parts of our heart. Because then if, if that is so, no matter what happens to us or where we go, what will be with us? The knowledge of the love of God. And that's what the psalmist said, Psalm 119, 11, Your word I treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. And so there's sometimes we're out there in the world, and we face the world with no Bible in our hands. We face the world without having had a a sermon by the preacher on it recently, whatever the situation is. We face the world, and we face the temptation of the world when we're tired and when we're alone, when we're overwhelmed, when we're weak, when we're in a bad situation. Isn't that when Satan likes to tempt us the most? But if the word of God and the love of God is in our heart, what do we have with us no matter what? We have that with us. But what if you're like these people here that Ezekiel had to deal with? What if you have another thing treasured in your heart? What if the secret desire and innermost desire of your heart is not the love of God and the truth of God's word? But what if it is some idolatrous thing that has captivated you and you indulge in uh, thoughts of wealth or thoughts of power, uh, thoughts of money? Uh, some kind of fleshly or sensual gratification, or the things of pride, or any other kind of dark or worldly thing, and that's really at the centermost part of our heart. Uh, if that's if that's what's in there, and we face these temptations when we're uh, cold and overwhelmed, and and not fully informed, and at a time of weakness and a time of struggle. What is the resource then we can rely on? And this is the great danger of idolatry. It takes our heart away from God, from his word, and from his love. And so what was it the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians? Now we've come to the New Testament on idolatry. Do you not know the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh, yeah. Yeah, those people that do those sins over there, those sinners, right. They're not going to get in the kingdom. Yeah, don't be deceived, not the fornicators, not the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor the homosexuals. Okay, pretty good so far. I think I, I, most of that I'm not doing. Or the thieves. Okay, I'm, or the covetous, or the drunkards, or the revilers, or the swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus, and in the Spirit of our God. So here are the people who have everything in their heart but the love and law of God. And what's going to happen to them? They're going to be judged. And we were like that. We haven't always had the, lo- the love of God and the law of God in our hearts. And there's times even when we've made the commitment to have that, we haven't uh, fully carried through on that. But we've been washed and ju- justified and sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus in the spirit of our God. And so idolatry is not a uh, fatal sin if it's repented of. And it can be repented of, and you can be cleansed from it. But even as a Christian, you'll be warned repeatedly about it. In Acts 21, to the Gentiles who believe, we write that you should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols, idolatry, and from blood and from things strangled, and from fornication. And Peter tells the brethren to whom he writes, the time past is already sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals—that's that's going to be on this list too, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. He said to the brethren, "You spent enough time on that. That that implies that some of the brethren are spending maybe some time back on that again now, and, and that should be a, that should be a past thing for us." But sometimes what should be the past is the present. Uh, to the church at Thyatira, in the book of Revelation, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. She teaches and leads my bondservants astray. So they commit acts of immorality and they eat things sacrificed to idols. They were still the Lord's bondservant, but they're in grave danger, aren't they? They, are my, they? He says, they are my bond servants, but they're being led astray. Just because we're a bondservant of God doesn't mean we can't be led astray. So James says, little children, guard yourself from idols. And so in the New Testament, here's five admonitions about idolatry. And then maybe here's another one too, maybe one that hits very close to home, Colossians 3, 5 and 6. Paul says, consider the members of your earthly body dead to immorality, to impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. And echoing what these other passages said, for on account of these things, the wrath of God will come. So when we get to Revelation 21.8, who's outside? The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the immoral, the sorcerers, that's our next word, and idolaters, and all liars. They're going to be outside, and they're going to be in the lake of fire. So, as John said, guard yourself from idols. That was the first word. We got the second one. Not so much on it. Uh, it's a, uh, the word sorcery. The King James gives us witchcraft. It's one of those cases where when we give the Greek word, we go, huh? Because this is one of those Greek words you'd you know even without studying Greek. It's the Greek word pharmakia the Greek word from which we get the word pharmacy and pharmaceuticals. Now, the connection between the modern pharmaceuticals and pharmacy and the ancient sorcery and the ancient witchcraft is the use of substances to use in spells as drugs in some kind of magical incantations, magical arts, to try and exercise power over other people. And so sometimes you boil up the vat, you know, Eye of Newt and Toe of Frog and whatever else those witches of Macbeth threw in that pot uh, as they had to, uh, toil and trouble. Well, sometimes you, you throw in those things uh, and th- through substances cast a spell. There's other times with the pharmacia where you give the substance to somebody else is an influence on them. That's very similar to uh, all the kind of date rape drugs and different things that people use. Where people slide somebody a substance and put it in there to influence the other person without them knowing about it. So that's the connection between the 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 pharmacia, that's this sinful sorcery, and the modern use of the same word really in the English as pharmaceutical or pharmacy. Now, medicinal use, uh, you know, things using substances on the up and up. Uh, to get a good benefit, to, to cure the body. Now, that's nothing wrong with that. Uh, the Bible approves that, as a matter of fact, uh, directly. Uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, wine for the stomach. Proverbs 31, 6 and 7, uh, wine for the, uh, the sad one. And uh, strong drink for the man uh, who was dying. Uh, you know, we don't, uh, like, like today with the guys on hospice, Uh, We don't withhold the morphine from them at all, do we? We're not worried about making morphine addicts of these people. Uh, We're worried about them suffering unnecessary pain. And so uh, the biblical use of substances, uh, uh, the approved biblical use of substances, even strong substances, is in a number of passages. There's a number of, of substances used for first aid. Now, pretty basic, but still worked. Wine and, and oil were used uh, to wrap wounds, and that's mentioned in the scripture. Or Ecclesiastes 12:5 talks about the caperberry no longer having its effect, and that seems to be uh, an aphrodisiac that was used. And it gets to a certain age; it don't matter what pill you take, that kind of function ain't working anyway. And so Ecclesiastes 12:5 that that fails. It's 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 the time has passed for that in life. So, uh, pharmaceutical use, on the up and up, that's not a biblical issue. It's actually we actually have five or six verses to go to at least approving uh, of those things. But of this dark arts uh, of these spells uh, and trying to influence nature and other people uh, to your advantage, no. Uh, Leviticus nineteen. Don't go to mediums and spiritists. Don't be defiled by them because I am the Lord. Leviticus 20. A man or a woman who's a medium or a spiritist, they shall be put to death. The old King James in his beautiful poetry, the witch will not be suffered to live. That's that passage. Uh, They'll be stoned. Their blood guiltiness is on them. Or Deuteronomy 18. When you go to the land the Lord gives you, don't imitate the detestable things of those nations Don't be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, the one who uses divination, or the one who practices witchcraft, who interprets omens, or the sorcerer, the one who casts a spell, a medium, a spiritist, one who calls on the dead. Whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You'll be blameless before the Lord your God, for those nations which you'll dispossess, Listen to those who practice witchcraft and diviners. But as for you, Jehovah, your God, has not allowed it. And so, when sorcery is here, this pharmakia, in the works of the flesh, that's what we're talking about. Don't participate in any of that. In the New Testament, again, in Revelation 21, 8, who was outside? The abominable, the immoral, the sorcerers, and the idolaters. And in Revelation 22, you wash your robes in white, that you can have the right to eat of the tree of life and enter into the gates of the city. But outside, again, the outside is the, the dogs, the sorcerers, the immoral, the murderers, idolaters, and anyone who loves lying. So these are the things which we must avoid. In Acts 19, there's this really interesting story about the converts there in Ephesus. Once they saw the truth of the gospel as compared to uh, these soothsayers and these magicians, as those magicians tried to cast out some demons and they got beaten up, and then Paul is able to handle those demons without any trouble. It says in Acts 18, 19, 18, excuse me, 19, 18 and 19, Acts 19, 18 and 19, Many of those who believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices, saying, "Boy, if you know magic, you know you don't disclose it; you keep it secret, and you only teach your apprentice or somebody who pays you big money for it. So then they can do it too." And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone, and they counted up the price of them and found it fifty thousand pieces of silver. And so there's the Christian response to the magic, to those occult things, to those, uh, you know, trying to influence the world with a spell or a potion or, uh, you know, some kind of uh, totem or some kind of good luck charm or some, you know, walk around backwards three times and spit on your left foot while you spit in some guy's eye. I don't know what you do. But trying to influence the world that way, that's, that's not for us. If we need the world influenced... If we need things to turn our way, what do we do? We pray to God. We pray to God. We don't need these other things. And so these are abominable and detestable in the sight of God as they are replacements for him, and I think rightly put, with idolatry. So let us, as we closed last week, close again this week, from Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So let's trust in God. Let's avoid these works of the flesh in any way they might appear in all the ways Satan disguises them or makes them appear attractive to us. And let us put our trust in God through Jesus Christ, his son. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at Mulvane Church. Dot .com Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.